I don't think Nikola Jokic is the guy I want to throw hands with in that situation. I respect Devin Booker for going over and like piping up for his boy, but I, I don't know about that one. Nikola Jokic is a scary dude. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that wouldn't get swept with an MVP on their roster. I'm David Arroyo, joined as always by Tom Shively. Tom, another week, another slate of basketball games. But first of all, it's the way we started every week. How you doing? Doing well. I had a great weekend down in Virginia with the family, and I saw the relatives. Uh, my mom was in a play. Fantastic. So very good. I had a good weekend, though. It was fun. You were hyping this play up for a couple weeks. You got the, La- the Laramie Project. Yeah, she nailed it. It was fun. What What was her role? Uh, she had about six different roles. So versatility is the name of the game. If you're looking for it, the the cat the the show probably had about fifty characters, and there were like twelve actors. So way, range of motion was fantastic. I liked it. So what I'm hearing is your mom was the MVP of the show. Absolutely, yeah, stole the show. Stole the show, of course. I mean, Mama Shives always steals the show. We all, we knew that even before this. Come on, greatness runs in the family. Come on. Oh well, let's let's relax. <laughs> I don't know what happened with you, but let's relax, Tom. A lot of basketball to talk about, and let's let's just start with the series you and I have have debated the most about, and it has seemed to be swinging in my direction, but not in the way I was hoping for, because now I have a bad take in both directions on this series. The Milwaukee Bucks today tied the Brooklyn Nets series up at two games apiece, uh, took them down 107-96. That was after an 86-83 win earlier in the week in which I tweeted it was a bad win for the Bucks because I just thought they didn't look very impressive and it wasn't going to be something that could be repeated. Well, here we are. They win another game. The big storyline coming out of this game, though, there's a couple. Kyrie Irving turned his ankle early in this game, did not return. He was seen on crutches and with a boot when he was exiting the game. Uh, They're calling it a high right ankle sprain, but it looked really bad when it happened in the moment. And also, Blake Griffin exited in the third quarter with an injury. There wasn't a lot said about what his injury was, or I didn't see it on Twitter, one of the two. But, you know, another win for the Bucks and... The the Brooklyn Nets now have fallen apart. Yeah, I mean, they're already without James Harden. He's played, you know, he went out in the first minute of game one. So you look at any team that is down three of their starters, it's going to be it's going to be a tall ask. And, and obviously, you we don't know about Irving or Harden. Harden, I think, would be less likely to play the rest of this series. Griffin or Irving, I could see both coming back, but kind of depends on what that ankle feels like for Kyrie because it. If it was just a roll, then he can play on us. It's just not going to be very comfortable. He might have to miss game five. But if it was something more serious, obviously, it's we're going to learn a lot about Kevin Durant. We'll see what he can do. And I think it, it's a tall ask for him with with these guys out. But he, you know, he kind of struggled today in the second half. But that's a tough position, you know, not expecting to kind of play without your wingman. So Milwaukee, give him credit. They did what a lot of people didn't think they could do, which. More so winning game three than today. I think a lot of people kind of wrote them off after games one and two abysmal performances there. But, you know, they're fighting back and they're showing why, you know, a lot of people liked them to A, win this series and B, maybe win the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, if they win the series, right, we're going to have to look at it as like a major asterisk on the entire series because, you know, Nets are without Harden, they're without Kyrie. We thought both those guys would be major factors. And when you're missing two of your three best players, you know, if you do that to any team, 
they're not going to be the same. And like even the Bucks early in this series, right? They didn't have DiVincenzo, and it felt like it was such such a huge loss. And what is he like? Their sixth best player? Like it it, it losing a key contributor you've had all season is massive. But I think this is was kind of the concern I had with the Nets on top of the chemistry issues I thought they might have, which was completely disproven in the first two series. I just need to say, but they are a group of superstars who outside of Harden who's never really gotten hurt before but Durant and Irving both have their share of injury history up to this point and I think it was not illogical to think one of those guys would get hurt at some point during the playoffs now two of them again I'm a little surprised by but this team didn't have the depth if one of these guys went down which is what I've been saying all year and now that they're relying on Kevin Durant, yeah, he's a great player and he can do a lot, but I don't think he can do enough when Milwaukee's still healthy, still at full strength. You're getting great performances out of Giannis. Budenholzer's actually adjusting in the middle of the series to what the Nets are doing, which hell of a revelation on that front. And so I, I just, you know, I, I think the Bucks might be able to put this one away in the next two games. I, again, I have been dead wrong about every game so far in this series so who knows how this is going to go and as a Sixers fan I'm hoping it goes seven but right now it I think without Harden and Kyrie I just I don't see the the Nets being able to pull this one out yeah I mean you look at they'd have to win two out of three with without two of their superstars two you know perennial all NBA guys and I'll give you credit for for the depth thing. I don't think you ever mentioned injuries, but you you did come out and say like even with those three guys, you wouldn't have depth. So I think you're patting yourself on the back a little bit too much. But you did say depth was a concern, but you never said it was because those guys would get hurt. Hey, listen, a little bit of revisionist history there. Listen, I mean, if I say depth was a concern, depth was a concern. You, you don't know why I was saying it. I maybe I just didn't give my full thoughts at the time, and now you're getting the the full take here as a. Uh, as it the full take now that you know that you're right okay exactly i mean let's talk about this game today a little bit more pj tucker came up huge but then after the game steve nash basically he's he's been the primary defender on kevin durant and today he said that he felt that at times the defense by pj tucker bordered on not being defense what are your thoughts on nash's comments regarding the way they're guarding kevin durant I think that's always been a a part of PJ Tucker's game is he's he's been a little bit on the physical side and I think someone like Durant, you know, maybe not as much as Harden, but kind of sells calls very well and I think there's a lot of calls that Kevin Durant usually gets that he didn't today, but I'm not necessarily saying that it's anything out of the ordinary. I I think a lot went wrong for Brooklyn in this game that it, it's hard to say, you know, Kevin Durant not getting calls on defense is the reason they lost this game. I think it's it's as simple as, you know, you look at, you lose two of your starters within a quarter of each other and, you know, no team is going to come back and win that game. So I think it's more so. And yeah, maybe he does have a beef, but you got to think Durant will come out in game five and kind of adjust his game a little bit more. And, you know, because he struggled in game three as well. The whole team did, the, both teams did, to be fair, on the offensive end. But Except for Giannis and Chris Middleton. The, the Bucks were, what, 6 for 31 from 3? We sat there and said, oh, they shot 6 for 30 in Game 1. There's no way they can do that bad again. And they were worse and still won Game 3. And it's like, what is going on in this series? But it's been, I don't know. I, I've always kind of thought complaining about the officials was a little corny. And, you know, maybe he has a beef, but it's Kevin Durant. So he'll figure it out. I just think, though, that's probably just a coach 
sticking up for his guy and trying to, you know, plant it in the in the ref's heads for the yeah. next game to be like, hey, I mean, are you watching the way he's playing? But also, I feel like P.J. Tucker, got, I mean, he, he had five fouls. So it wasn't like he was playing physical and they were just letting him play physical. They were calling a lot of the fouls. So I, I don't know if, if it's necessarily a fair critique to be like, oh, man, how, how could you let them play so physical? It's like, yeah, he was playing physical and getting called for fouls. Uh, what else do you want them to do? They're doing their job. But, I think you wanted to call more fouls. Like, you wanted to get out earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, I just... Uh, looking at this series, right? For, first of all, before we move on, speaking of P.J. Tucker and Kevin Durant, thoughts on the Game 3 altercation where Kevin Durant's security guard, whoever that was, came out onto the floor and is now banned courtside for the remainder of the series? I mean, it can't happen. Like, it's just... You you can't have the guy out there in that kind of scenario. And, and P.J. Tucker won that that stare down that fight let's be honest so it's 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 been it's been all bucks in the series since that point so you know look at that maybe put a little pin in that one but you, you can't have the guy come out on the court like that and i'm glad the nba went out and was like yeah we're, we're not having this this is because at first like i thought it was like an arena security guy which i thought was a little odd and maybe i wouldn't abandon arena guy for life but like you never see that you just let the players sort it out by themselves maybe you have some assistant coaches and the refs come in there and and, and try to calm things down a little bit. But I've never seen a third-party security person come in before. It was, you know, maybe like a player fan in altercation. You would see that, but not with team versus team. Now, I saw someone speculate this the other day. What is the beef between P.J. Tucker and Kevin Durant? Because they seem to legitimately hate each other. And they're actually, a, they went to Texas a year apart from one another. So, like, you would think generally guys from the same school and the same alma mater alma mater i don't know why i couldn't say that word they tend to get along and put on a nice face uh even when things may not be going well but they seem to genuinely hate each other and all i can think is that pj tucker just doesn't respect kevin durant because of what he did going to golden state and then you know they had those epic playoff battles like that is the only thing i can possibly think of for why pj tucker has such disdain for kevin durant I could see it because every time they meet up in the playoffs, Kevin Durant is on a super team. And PJ Tucker strikes me as maybe the last person in the NBA that would have any interest in joining a super team. Him and like maybe Pat Bev, but the Clippers like were marketed as a super team, so maybe that's a bad comparison. But remember when he told Steph Curry that uh this is mine for the next five years? I did. Big yes. I they Twitter has not forgotten about that, nor should they. Fantastic, but the, the Texas thing, I don't know how much has to do with it. I think you kind of hit it with the Rockets. You know, I, P.J. Tucker, I'm sure, was not alone on thinking his Rockets team was better than that Warriors team. And, you know, they're probably sitting there like, man, if Chris Paul was healthy that whole series, we would have won it and we would have been the NBA champs that year. You can't blame him for thinking that. And I think he, you hit it right. He thinks, and I don't know how the rest of the league thinks. I think a lot of guys have maybe moved past it, but there's probably still some animosity from him leaving Oklahoma City to go to the Warriors. And I think he's not alone in that. I I think it's hard, though, at this point to like, to say Kevin Durant was an important part of those championship teams, because I mean, we've hashed this out before, but he gets hurt in the NBA finals. And that Warriors team just wasn't the same without him. And the two championships they won, the year before, like the year before he gets there, they lose in seven. But the team, when he got there, like he was such an important part of what they were doing. He was their best player late in games. He was the guy who was going to take the big shot. And granted, it was easier for him because you literally couldn't double him because then you're leaving one of Steph Curry or Clay Thompson open. But I, I just, I think 
in the moment, it felt like, you know, we could be able to discredit his championships. But I mean, two finals MVPs, it's hard to look at him and say the Warriors didn't need Kevin Durant because when he wasn't there, they couldn't win the NBA championship. The year before he wasn't there, they couldn't win the NBA championship. And the year immediately following, they were not a playoff team. I don't think I think those are two different arguments though. I think why PJ Tucker's mad at him is completely different from the fact that Kevin Durant was the best player on the team because in PJ Tucker's mind and the mind of a lot of people, he just took the easy route to a ring. Like they I don't think it was shocking to anybody that Kevin Durant would have been the best player on that team and it was kind of that feeling that oh, this Oklahoma City team was one game away from beating them and getting to the finals, and they themselves blew a three-one lead. And it's like, why are you walking away from that to just go join the other guys? And I think that was that's still what rubs people the wrong way. Not necessarily that oh, they're really good with Kevin Durant. Like shocker, like he is going to put them over the edge to win a championship. Of course he is. It's just the fact that he went and did it and just was like, all right, we're going to win a ring just because I want to win a ring. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but I had a tweet locked and loaded after the Warriors went down 3-1, just slandering them for not being able to beat that Thunder team. And I had to keep it in my drafts until Game 7 of the NBA Finals because there they were, just not getting bounced in the playoffs. I just I, I had to hold on to that tweet for basically three very long weeks as I just sat there because you knew I had the tweet locked and loaded. And... I almost didn't get to send it, but there we were, slander in the 73-9 and nine Warriors. I famously picked the Thunder in six. I almost looked like Nostradamus, uh, but I was one Clay Thompson fourth quarter explosion away from, from being right on and probably still talking about the fact that I picked the Thunder, but unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. Game six, Clay, dashed all of your hopes that I season. I know, it really did. I I'd, I'd probably would have hung a banner of that tweet like in my in my room. All right, Tom, let's move on then to the other game from today. And that is a series that is now over as the Phoenix Suns take out the Denver Nuggets 125 to 118. That is a sweep of the Denver Nuggets by the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I mean, dominant performance today from Chris Paul. He's 14 of 19, including nine of nine from the free throw line, 37 points. He didn't take a single three. And I just want to talk about this for a second. I am absolutely perplexed by this Phoenix Suns team to just completely spit in the face of everything we've been told about analytics because this team loves to take mid-range jump shots and they are thriving this postseason and it's interesting to think about how there's always this conversation about like when you get to the postseason you need a guy who can or guys who can create their own shot hit mid-range jump shots they have two guys in late game situations you trust to go get a basket in Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and that makes them extremely dangerous against whoever they end up playing in the Western Conference Finals. Another top uh, jump shot guy, Jimmy Butler, top five in the league, kind of carried Miami with his style last year. So that, there is some truth to that, that those mid-rangers, I don't know how much of that is, maybe it's a little bit less likely to get a call inside you know maybe the shots just don't fall as much in the playoffs I think it's more so people are going to leave you open more in the mid-range and I think they're they're taking advantage of that they really thrive there but I gotta give DeAndre Ayton his props because he went toe-to-toe with the MVP and especially in games one and two like really put him away with with the the awarded MVP the NBA MVP there we go he went toe-to-toe with him and honestly played better in games one and two. I think Joker kind of got his in, in three and then, you know, for while he was playing in game four. But 
Aiton's been really underrated this year, and I think people kind of wrote him off after a quiet rookie season. And, you know, he grew a little bit in his second year, and now he's really kind of blossoming into the guy they wanted him to be, and he's a perfect fit with this team. So give him credit, and obviously Chris Paul getting to the conference finals. Congrats for him. Deserves it. All right, you you mentioned it there, so let's talk about it. Nikola Jokic in this game was tossed in the third quarter. Flagrant two, uh, for those who didn't see it, he essentially he came forward toward Cameron Payne about 30 seconds after he got subbed into the game, loaded up to swing at the ball, didn't really catch much of the ball, caught uh, Cameron Payne directly in the nose. He goes to the floor. People think he maybe broke his nose. He ends up being fine, stays in the game. But Nikola Jokic is assessed a flagrant two and tossed from the game. There's been a lot of conversation about whether or not he should have gotten a flagrant two and been thrown out. What is your thought about, about the flagrant two there in that situation? I think kind of checks all the boxes. You know, he winds up, he makes contact with the player's face. You know, there's a follow through and it was kind of refreshing to me to see an MVP get tossed. I think, you know, so much of the league harps on, oh, X player gets special treatment. And I think to see Jokic not get it there and, you know, you could argue maybe he's not held in the same regard that like a Durant or LeBron or Harden is in terms of officiating. Like he's not at that level yet, but to see a guy who literally won the MVP earlier this week get tossed out of an elimination game was not maybe not refreshing to see, but to be able to be like NBA made the right decision and didn't look at you know player attributes in that moment, and that was kind of nice. Yeah, that, that's kind of my thing. Is like I'm really happy they made the call based on the merits of the play and not the merits of the player who made the play because. Everyone knows Nikola Jokic goes out of that game. This game's over. Like They can't win this game without Nikola Jokic when they're already down Jamal Murray. They're already down uh, some, of, some of their other cards whose names I'm just blanking now. Barton just came back a couple games ago. Uh, like it, You knew he goes out of this game. This game's over. And surely enough, that was essentially what happened. They put up a good fight there at the end. But I'm happy the refs were able to just say... This is a flagrant two. He's going to get tossed from the game. And we need more of that. Like, if just because they're a star player, if they make a play that is unsafe and can be deemed a flagrant two, you need to call a flagrant two. Now, also notable, I don't think Nikola Jokic is the guy I want to throw hands with in that situation. I respect Devin Booker for going over and, like, piping up for his boy, but uh, I don't know about that one. Nikola Jokic is a scary dude. Where does he rank in uh, guys you don't want to fight in the NBA? Where is he on that list? He's me personally or in general? You personally. David Arroyo, no fight oh. list. I mean, he, he's he's seven feet tall. He's at, he's probably at the top of the list. Also in the top five is P.J. Tucker. Uh, I don't think I want to throw hands with P.J. Tucker. I'd have to think about some other. There's a lot of scary dudes in the NBA. I don't want to fight Embiid. I would say no. Almost oh, certainly not. I don't want to fight Marcus Smart. Um... Uh, let me read you. I don't know if this is real or not, to be honest. Okay. So I'm, I may be getting duped by a fake tweet. But oh, this is great. Okay. So someone posted on Twitter, and it was a screenshot, and it said, "Quote: When Nikola Jokic was a child, his older brother held his arms down and threw knives around his head for refusing to climb a tree." Quote: That was a little crazy, says Jokic. And the fact that I'm not sure if this is a real anecdote from a story about him or not tells you everything you need to know about my willingness to fight Nikola Jokic. Well, you saw the picture of his brothers where it was like, oh, these guys probably were the Serbian mob, like kept him off the streets because he was a baller. Yeah, they have definitely threatened to leave horse heads in people's beds if they're not paid. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Those dudes have committed 
crimes. Maybe you've gone to to prison. There should be. We need a new segment on the show. Um, real or fake tweet. I think that would be. Each of us comes with a tweet. The problem is, like, I feel like we see a lot of the same tweets, so we'd have to be careful with that one. Listen, the the best fake tweet that I saw that, again, I knew it was fake, but I still sent it to everyone anyway, was the Danny Ainge when he got let go. Um, I forget the exact context of the tweet, but it, it was, oh, basically that, like, the last straw for him was when Lucky got uh, stepped <laughs> on. That was the last straw at, at that point when, when the organization didn't fight hard enough for Lucky. He felt the need to leave. Big Baby Davis is on the hit list now because, like, what are you doing with the Kyrie Irving quote with, oh, that was the angle he stepped on Lucky with? Come on. Not only was that a wild quote, it wasn't even the same foot. He stepped on Lucky with his left foot, and he has a high right ankle sprain. So not only was it a bad take, he's also factually incorrect. I mean... The Celtics legends are down bad for Lucky. I respect that. Right, the legend is loose there. Come on. All right. The Celtics. Uh, former, former Celtic, champions. maybe. Yeah. Did he win? He won a title, right? Yeah, he was on that team. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they're down bad for Lucky in a way. I hope one of my friends is down bad for me like that because they, they're ready to go to war over a literal leprechaun. Man, if they liked, if they liked Kyrie Irving the way they like Lucky, man, they'd, they'd, he'd still be there. I, if they liked any player as much as they liked Lucky, they'd maybe attract some more free agents. But that's, that's neither here nor there. I think we've hashed that one out enough times on this show at this point. Tom, let's move on to let's go back to the Eastern Conference and let's talk about my Philadelphia 76ers. Yes, we're claiming ownership now. Uh, I guess I've claimed ownership all season. Anyway, they, they took a 2-1 series lead. Let's just recap. They had an abysmal first three-quarter performance in Game 1. And then figured out in the fourth quarter. And then the last two games have not even been particularly close. They won the most recent one, 127 to 111. Uh, Joel Embiid on a single knee had 27 points. He was 12 of 16 from the free throw line. So he continues to get to the free throw line and make his shots. But big storyline in this game for the Sixers. Danny Green went out of this game with an injury. Uh, I don't remember the exact context of the injury. You're going to have to help me out because he's another one. He left in a walking boot. I'm going to have to find now why he's out. But it's likely at this point he's probably going to miss the remainder of the series. But I, I don't think against the Hawks it's really going to end up making a difference. You don't? Okay. No, I mean. That was my let, question. Let, let's just let's just go through real quick, right? Game one, Trey Young absolutely torches the 76ers. I mean, it. Doc Rivers in that first game, I think the statistic I saw was Danny Green guarded him for like 50 to 60% of that game. He went off for 35 points. It just was dominant performance by Trey Young. Since then, the primary ball hand, the primary defenders on Trey Young have been Matisse Thybul and Ben Simmons. And since then, he's gotten 21 points and he had 28 last game, but it was not on like great efficiency numbers. So it, they seem to have figured out Trey Young a little bit. And uh, again, Hawks team, very talented. I wouldn't say they're not a talented team. I think they're a very good basketball team. But I just don't think they have enough, especially when you have a guy like Embiid who, again, even yeah, if he's shot, a uh, he's a nightmare for them. And even when his shot's not falling, he's just getting to the line constantly. And like, if you have Compella on him, you have a good defender who just can't contain him for whatever reason. 
And then if you go small, John Collins is going to be the guy guarding him. And good luck. Collins had five fouls last game. So like they, they just seem to have no answers for what the Sixers are doing, whether it be Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons has been really good this series. I know people clowned him for his two of three shooting in the game where he locked up Trey Young. But it's like people get mad when he's like not taking terrible jump. Like this is the a really annoying part about NBA Twitter. We destroy Giannis for taking awful three-point shots that he has no chance of making, but then constantly yell at Ben Simmons for not taking those same shots. Like, you're going to get the same result. Like, I'll, I will take 18 points on 7 of 11, seven of 11 shooting. Are you going to get the same result? Who knows? I mean... You don't know unless he shoots. I guess the question now, and I'll just answer it, of, you know, who do the Sixers go to now in the starting lineup? I, my guess... They probably start Furkan Korkmaz because historically this season, when he's played with the starters, he's kind of been a nightmare because he just runs off screens. They're probably going to put Trey Young on him, and it's going to force Trey Young into action. And if you force Trey Young into defensive action, that's literally what you want to be doing, tiring him out before he can get to the offensive end. And it's a recipe for success. I had said Sixers and five. I stuck firm after game one, and I feel even better about it now. They're going to put this one away by the time they get back to Philly. Yeah, I mean, if Atlanta's going to win another one, it's got to be tomorrow night. They're not going to win. They're certainly not going to win game five in Philly. So, And, I mean, Green only had five points in game two. I didn't realize he was that quiet in game two. So it's not like they are were relying on him heavy to, to really contend in this series. So I think it depends on how much he's going to miss in the next series, whether they get... Milwaukee or Brooklyn he's going to be obviously a bigger he's going to have a bigger role to play in that series I think they said two to three weeks which would have him coming back sometime in the middle of the series you know depending on how long that goes but it's going to be interesting I think it's a big loss I think obviously he's not the catalyst but you look at you know huge piece for them and a huge reason they were so successful this year and on a team that needs the kind of outside shooting from some of those other guys he's he's a huge piece yeah, he uh he is out two to three week, weeks with a right calf strain. Uh, also, I just want to throw this out there. Doc Rivers today was asked if he knew who was going to be the player starting in his position. And his quote was, quote, it will be a Philadelphia 76er. So I, I really appreciate the, uh, the coyness here. Since this might be the last time we really talk about the Hawks because they could be eliminated by the next time. Well, let's put it this way. I, I'm pretty sure all the series will be over by the time we record next weekend because the games from this point forward are... Uh, every other night so like brooklyn is tuesday thursday saturday so i'm pretty sure philadelphia will also I think be over utah is the only series that might not be over but let me check so that. Let, let, let's talk let's talk about the hawks a little bit just because i think there's a lot of a lot of things to build on a lot of things to be happy about if you're a hawks fan and i guess i'm kind of wondering from you you know how close do you think this team is to legitimately contending to be like, they've been a really good story this this, this season, but it's pretty clear. The Sixers are on another level from where the Hawks are right now. Yeah. They're kind of tier. They're kind of tier two with, I'd probably put the Knicks there and maybe the Celtics in the heat right now. Uh, They need another, they need like a better wing player. I think is, is their thing. I think they're getting enough from Bogdanovich, but you need a more. I think you need another create their own shot guy outside of Trey Young, and I think that's their biggest issue right now. Is you know Bogdanovich, Herder, whoever it may be, rely too much on playing themselves open as opposed to creating their own shot. And I think mm-hmm. 
you need somebody else like that. And maybe, I don't know if Capella's a championship-type big man anymore, but you know, I, the Trey Young's certainly a star, and I think he's proven a lot of people wrong in this playoffs, especially what he did in the Knicks series. And I think people are going to look at him a lot different now, and, and that's good for him because he, you know, he's always been a great player, and he just happened to play on a quiet team that no one really looked at. I think they had like five national TV games in his first three years, and it's good for him, and I think they're heading in the right direction. It's just, you know... You talk about championship windows. How are they going to compare to, you know, Philly's window, Milwaukee's window, whoever it may be, running up against that? Or, you know, maybe Boston comes back, hopefully gets back in a championship, Miami, whoever it may be. But th- they're a couple pieces away. I don't think this current roster has what it takes. Yeah, I think you and I have kind of hit on this before. But at one point earlier this year, I had said to you that I thought Atlanta was probably the next best candidate for a team that could attract stars because Atlanta is a major city and they've really started to, like I mentioned at the time, build up their kind of film and entertainment industry down there. And so I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years if Trey Young could attract a co-star down there. I mean, we've thrown the name out there a lot, but when he went to protest, if I'm not mistaken, Jalen Brown went down to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so I could see a guy like Jalen Brown going and joining Trey Young in Atlanta or again, somebody of that caliber who... They're not your. They're not going to be your best player, but I think hometown Trae Young, for Jalen Brown too. What was he's that? A, he's a Georgia kid too. Yeah. So like, uh, the, I'm just like spitballing some names right now, but like I think Trey Young has shown you enough this postseason to feel comfortable building around him the same way like right before the Warriors started building around Steph Curry, he had shown you a little bit in the playoffs, and so like he he's kind of in the same bucket of people. As uh, I'm trying to think of some like Devin Booker right before he took that before they got Chris Paul had shown you consistently you could build a team around him. The yeah, team Booker Booker never did it in the playoffs though to be fair. But the team was just garbage. They were doing a terrible job building the team. That wasn't his fault. So like I, I guess the guy would be like Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell last year. They they showed you things that made you go this guy's a star. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Donovan Mitchell in a second. But I, I think Trey Young has shown you enough at this point that you need to start trying to go all in because like I said, the window closes fast. And yeah, Brooklyn is still out there. Philadelphia is not going anywhere. But you can compete with Philadelphia, clearly. You're not that far off. You're a step below, but to me, it's not It's not a canyon. It, it's a gap. It's not a canyon. I think, that, I think that's fair. I mean, I, we talked about it last week. You know, anytime you have a chance to go for a championship, do it. Anytime you're, you know, one player away from, from making the jump, do it. You know, Phoenix did it so well. Boston did it so poorly. And you kind of look at some of those other teams, you know, like the Lakers have gone out and got pieces, whoever it may be, like, just doing enough to give yourself a chance because you never know when that next chance is going to be. You know, you never know when Anthony Davis is going to get hurt. You never know when Kyrie Irving and James Harden are going to get hurt. And so it's, it's, you know, anytime you can put yourself in contention, do it. One more thing that I want to throw out there because it goes back to a discussion we had a couple weeks ago. You had said you'd thrown him out there as a candidate for potential face of the league, and that was Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid has been the best player in basketball this season in terms of first pick who am I taking to start my team uh, granted ignoring injuries because I, I think I've said to a couple people I actually don't think you have many more years of prime Joel Embiid because of his injury problems but in terms of just who is the most talented player in the league right now I think it's probably Joel Embiid 
because of what he gives you on both ends of the court. Like he can give you 40 points and then be a game changer on defense. And I don't know if another player in the NBA is doing that right now. I'd still take Durant if I had to start a team from scratch right now. But Embiid is, you know, top three probably. Yeah, it's hard. I can't even think of a second guy I would take instead of him. Like I, I'd take him over Steph. You know, I'd take him over LeBron at this point. Embiid would probably be number two now that I think about it. Yeah, I'd take him over Giannis for sure. Well, Embiid, like this season, has really elevated what he could do on a basketball court. And it feels like, in specific, right, he'd always been a good mid-range shooter. He's been elite this season. And it's what's changed his game. Because if you're slow on the double, he's just going to turn around and shoot that mid-range jump shot. And it's going in most of the time. Or if you're slow on the double, he's going to take you inside and just bully you. If you bring the double quick, he's gotten so good at knowing where his man is and finding open shooters. And so, again, I've mentioned it a couple times, but this revitalization project by Daryl Morey is something to behold. The way he just was like, what are we doing not having 100 shooters around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? Let's just put more shooters out there. And one more thing, credit to Tobias Harris for being absolutely abysmal last season and really stepping his game. He's an integral part of what could potentially be the Eastern Conference champions. Uh, the Embiid thing, too, is interesting because Simmons has a lot of Giannis in his game and I think likes to play in the post and likes to specifically drive to the post. And when you have Embiid, who's able to stretch the floor a little bit, that clears out more space with the other team's rim protector that gets Simmons out there. So I think him elevating his game has really helped Simmons kind of get back to his bread and butter too. So there's a lot to like with the way he's playing this year. I just always thought the narrative that those two didn't play well together was overblown because literally the only season they had shooters around them, they were a very good basketball team. Granted, the the guys they had around them were Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova, not the guys they have now, but they were a good basketball team, and they had the best plus-minus. They they have the best plus-minus when they're on the court together since they started playing together. That has to count for something, and that's with the season of Al Horford in there. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I just I'm a little confused by this this narrative that's been out there for a couple of years that oh they just don't complement each other well. They complement each other just fine. You have two All NBA defenders on the three All NBA defenders on one team, but in the starting lineup, you have two All NBA defenders and if that lob to Embiid where Steph Curry just absolutely bodied Clint Capella on a, a back screen is not an indication of what they can do together. I, I don't know what more you need to see at this point. It comes down to postseason success, and like as as unfair as it is, they you know are yet to get to a conference finals. Let me ask you this: Did they beat the Bucks in 2019? If they uh, if they win the Raptors series, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's an interesting question because I, I truly don't. I would have picked them. Yes, I think they had more talent on their like top end talent than the Raptors did, but at the same time, the Raptors just they you can't control what happened in that series. And it's why I've never liked when Sixers fans are like, oh, we were a game away from the NBA Finals. It's like, no, 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 no. You were a game away from the conference finals. You started to beat a Bucks team who was really, really good. And I don't know if Brett Brown is the guy you want to trust making in-game adjustments. Like, the the Raptors won that series, yeah, in part because they had Kawhi Leonard, but because they had the exponentially better coach. Yeah. Nick Nurse is maybe the best coach in basketball. So it's not surprising looking back and going, man, I can't believe they beat them. Yeah, I'm going to take Nick Nurse over Budenhoser 10 times out of 10 and not think twice about it. Would, would you take Brett Brown or Budenhoser? 
Oh, Lord. I'd probably take Budenholzer because he's been to a conference finals. But I, I was a Brett Brown defender. And I know. I still believe that if you gave him a better team, I never thought he had a great team. And so. Oh, the 2019 they, team was money. Come on. Yeah, but, but I don't look back and think they lost it because of Brett Brown. They lost it because they they dropped a game at home that like they dropped a game at home they shouldn't have dropped but then they got one back later in Toronto they ended up losing because Kawhi Leonard hit one of the luckiest shots in NBA history they would have gone Brown, to, would have gone to overtime for the record I'm sure you know no, that no I I totally understand that I'm just saying Brett Brown wasn't playing defense on Kawhi Leonard that's not his fault that the trap by Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons was horrendous. A horrendous trap attempt by those two. Ended up with Embiid guarding Kawhi Leonard on the perimeter. And he put up a great contest. But, again, not Brett Brown's fault that that shot went down. They, he coached that series well enough to me. Fair enough. So, all right, let, let's move on then to the other game out west. And the Los Angeles Clippers finally took a game in this series, 132-106 to last night. Uh, the Jazz now up only 2-1. to I I don't even know much to say about this series. I mean, the, the Clippers looked dead to rights after the... Well, maybe not dead to rights. They didn't look great after the first two games. Uh, but it seems like they're just going to continue to try and ride the wave of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And credit where credit is due, Paul George has... Playoff P, and I'm talking about the legitimate, really great playoff performer, Playoff P has returned. And it seems like he kind of comes and goes as he pleases, but he's he's back for now, I guess. I was going to say, I don't know about return. Like, you know, he's a, maybe a one-game rental for now, but... He's, he's, he's like Batman in the Dark Knight Returns. You know, he's, he's back for a couple hours, but, you know, this is his final hurrah, maybe. We'll catch him Dude, on. I mean, uh, come on, Kawhi like just thirty four last night. You know, he he had Donovan Mitchell looking like we haven't seen Mitchell look this playoffs. And Mitchell's been phenomenal the the entire postseason. You know, they've that was the first game they lost that he played in, and you know it kind of felt like obviously down to a must win game for the Clippers. And I actually think they did a lot of things well in Utah. You know, they put themselves in position to at least have a sniff at winning both of those games and I think they Paul George was abysmal I think he shot like four for 14 in game one he was almost as bad in game two and you know he had most of his points at the foul line I think you know now that you're kind of getting Paul George it's you you're doing what you were built to do which is have these kind of two stars but it is what it is with Paul George and you know can you get that for four games in a series he hasn't proved that certainly since maybe like early Indiana days and he really hasn't been a consistent playoff performer for a while so so can you get that more than more than one night and because you kind of know what you're going to get with Kawhi at this point and you've known that since the Spurs days well I also think it's helped that Reggie Jackson has been a consistent third option for them the entire playoffs he's been fantastic for them uh Nicholas Batum gave him a good performance there night I wouldn't count on that uh as many nights as they have needed to count on that but, I mean, any game you shoot 56% from the field and knock down 19 three-pointers, you're going to win that game. They match the Utah Jazz in three-pointers, and the Utah Jazz are one of the most prolific three-point yeah. shooting teams. In the, maybe Actually, they are the most prolific three-point shooting team in the league. So, if you are able to match them from the three-point line and then also outshoot them everywhere else, which I think they're fully capable of doing again, you're going to win that game nine times out of ten. 
I want to talk about, though, for a second, the astronomical leap forward, in my opinion, of Donovan Mitchell that has occurred this postseason. Because I've always really liked Donovan Mitchell. I thought he was a great basketball player. But I always saw him as a number two, that he wasn't really a go-to, a guy you can rely on to win championships. He is easily their best player in this series, and he's become a top 10 player in the NBA. Dude, anywhere on the court can knock down shots. Late in, late in the game, late in shot clock situations, you're giving him the ball, and he's going to knock down big shots. And he just continues to take steps forward that I, I didn't really think he had in him, and he's been absolutely electric for the Jazz this postseason. 45 and 37 games, one and two in this series against the Clippers with a lot of Kawhi Leonard minutes on defense too. So he's, you know, you saw in the Memphis series, obviously the one game they lose is the one he doesn't play. And then he specifically in games three and four in Memphis just took over late and, you know, got a little bit of help from Conley, but it was the Mitchell team. And I think the writing was kind of on the wall in the bubble last year. You saw what he was doing, but you could argue he got outshined by Jamal Murray and he, you know, he did get outshined by Jamal Murray and it's, Hard to imagine that right now Donovan Mitchell would would be outshined by Jamal Murray. Granted, it's a tough comparison because Murray hasn't played most of the season, but he's really taken a step forward. And I think Utah, you know, having a guy like Bogdanovich back that they didn't last year was is a huge asset for them. He's been lighting it up from three. You know, Joe Ingles is getting these shots. Clarkson's been fantastic. You know, insert perimeter player here. Conley's been fantastic. And it's just kind of. I don't know if I've ever seen like a regular season success team transition this seamlessly with like the same way they play basketball and do it better in the playoffs like I've seen Utah do. So they've they've been dangerous this year. They're hitting an insane clip of threes and they, they just keep falling. So they're creating shots and they're hitting them. Yeah, they they didn't really change the way they play from postseason to from regular season to postseason. And I think I'm kind of with you. I didn't expect the three-point shooting to carry over in the way it did because, like we've already touched on, I feel like mid-range shooting matters a lot more once you hit the postseason. But really, it's you need one guy who can hit mid-range jump shots, and they have that in Donovan Mitchell. You know, you need a late-game bucket. Donovan Mitchell is taking the shot. And that growth from him of just the pure unbroiled confidence because he used to be my, my complaint about him always used to be he was low efficiency he took a lot of shots scored a lot of points but didn't make a lot of those shots always shot like low 40 percents he's been shooting the ball incredibly well this postseason and that includes from three he was five of nine from three in the game three loss he, he's just been an unstoppable player and The thing I've seen highlighted a lot when you watch a lot of these highlight tapes is the spacing he's creating for other people. Because if he gets past a Kawhi Leonard, for example, he's drawing a second defender and he's intuitive enough to know where his open man is. And that, you know, basketball IQ and wherewithal, the ability for him to continue to grow that area of his game is why he's become so dangerous. Because you can't leave other guys open with him because he's going to find them. It's why they hit threes at the rate they do. I got to give Jordan Clarkson a little bit of credit, too. I was, like, so far asleep on Clarkson, I was almost unconscious. And I think he's had, you know, obviously he wins six-man. He was, he's been fantastic for them this year. And if they win a championship, he's going to have to play a big role, and I think he has this year. And let me throw one more thing out you. I don't know this might be a reach of a comparison, but they are kind of using the Warriors recipe in terms of structure to win a championship. And you can't blame them because that's, you know, they've been the most successful team of the past 
20 years maybe the Warriors have like that particular style of play and the Je- I'm not going to say they're doing it better than the Warriors but they have more shooters than Golden State did and, and you know maybe they don't have the star power quite that the Warriors did especially when Durant showed up but they're kind of doing the the three-point route we're just going to outshoot you and they're certainly doing it to the Clippers they did to the Grizzlies as well yeah I, I think the one concern if you're the Jazz right is no Mike Conley that didn't play game three I, I think they need him as didn't play games one or two either, I think. I don't think he's yeah, played he, at all in the series. Yeah, so I, I think his absence is huge if you're if you are a Utah Jazz fan. And I think he's somebody who if obviously their aspiration is to win an NBA championship. I don't think they can win an NBA championship without Mike Conley because he is their lesser version of Chris Paul. Like, like if that ends up being the matchup, like I think it, it, it could be. It, I think the Clippers are still very much alive in this series. But if the matchup in the West ends up being Suns Jazz, I would rank those four players because I think those are actually the four best players probably going into the series. I'd rank those players as Mitchell one, Paul two, Booker three, Conley four. But you need that Conley contribution. If you don't have that Conley contribution, I, I don't think they can win that series. You really don't like Rudy Gobert. Wow. Rudy Gobert is not even the sec- Not even the second best player on the team? Yikes. He's most certainly not the second best player on the I team. Come did, on. Come man. on. Come on. I mean, listen, he. I don't know what his numbers are against DeAndre, and I'd have to look them up. I just can't respect a big man who gets dominated the way he does by Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I just, I refuse Six, to give him Sixers, any okay, Sixers inserted back into the conversation. All right, there of it is. course. Listen, Ben Simmons dropped forty-four on his head. How, how is he our defensive player of the year? How is he the league's defensive player of the year? He's oh. not my defensive player of the year. Is there, is there an award the league gave out that you agree with? Uh, yeah, six man of the year I agree with. Most improved player I agree with. Coach of the year I didn't. Monty Williams should have won that one. Yeah, I didn't like Tibbs. I actually thought Tibbs out of the three. Like, I would have given it to Quinn Snyder before Tibbs, too. Well, see, I saw someone point this out the one day. Tibbs, if you looked year over year, remember his, his I think, first year in uh, Minnesota? He actually did the same exact thing he just did in New York. It was about a 20-win improvement. They went from not being a playoff team to a playoff team, and he got zero votes for Coach of the Year when he was in Minnesota. He only got these votes because he's in New York. If it wasn't the Knicks, he doesn't even sniff the award. But he's in New York, so he gets it over Monty Williams or Quinn Snyder. Again, I go Monty Williams there just because the Jazz were already really good. Uh, the Suns took a huge leap forward this year. That I think you can give a lot of credit to did, Monty Williams uh, for that one. Did Steve Kerr win Coach of the Year in 16 when he only coached half the year? I don't think so. I was going to say, because if he did, I'll have to look and you up. could throw half-season coaches of the year, like... Atlanta's coach. I'm drawing a blank on his name, and that's it's a sin for me. Nate McMillan. But yeah, McMillan. Like what he did with that team's turnaround. Like I'd give him a vote. Are you kidding me? Making them seventy percent winning their games like the last thirty, whatever he did. Like that's insane. So him over Tibbs the, for sure. The 2016 coach of the year was Steve Kerr. So yeah, the year that Luke Walton coached half their games. But my point exactly. Like you know, I. To me, McMillan maybe has been the coach of the year in terms of how he's turned Atlanta around. Monty Williams, obviously, with what he's done with the Suns, too. But those would be my one, too. Yeah, I mean, I think the overall takeaway, though, from 
from this Jazz series and the playoffs as a whole, and I mentioned this once already in an earlier episode, but league is in in great hands whenever LeBron and I guess it's LeBron steps away because. I mean, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Trey Young, you know, the young stars are out in full force all over the playoffs right now, and they're getting far into the playoffs. Granted, Chris Paul, major part of that Suns team, you know, I'm not going to discredit that, but, you know, it's Chris Paul and a bunch of young talent. Like, it's, you know, Jay Crowder, maybe like Payne a little bit, but there aren't a ton of veterans on that team. Sarich, you know, you could throw in there, but a lot of young talent. Dario. Super Dario, come on. Trust the process, am I right? I mean, even like John Morant getting out in the first round, he put on a show. You know, Tatum played as good as he's ever played in the playoffs. Even these guys that aren't in the playoffs anymore still, you know, young guys are making a name for themselves. Yeah, league league is uh, most certainly in good hands. Tom, before we go, I just want to get thoughts on all the series, where we are now, and whether or not you think, how you think they're going to end up. So, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. Are you still sticking with Brooklyn, or are you, are you changing it now that they're down a bunch of stars? I don't know the extent of the injuries. I'll stick with Brooklyn. So if, it's Brooklyn if, with an asterisk. If Kyrie doesn't play, they're, they're not going to win, but I'll, I'll stick with the Nets for now. I think they can at least take it to seven. I think they can win one of the next two, so I'll stick with the Nets. So you think Nets and seven, that's where you're I'll going I'll stick with? with the Nets. I'll push it back to seven. I'll go... Uh, Hold on, I'm gonna go Bucks and six. You are okay. I, I think okay. I think this series is over. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Granted, f- famous last words. I also said the last podcast the series is over after the Nets went up 2-0. So famous last words once again. The Lakers also have a cakewalk to the NBA Finals too. Remember that. I, I hey I, I covered myself there because I said whoever won that series was gonna win the West. Yeah, so I right. covered myself there. We don't forget. Uh, we have the receipts. Sun, Suns, uh, Suns Nuggets obviously over. Sixers, Hawks. Uh, I'm going to the Arroyo school of thought here. I'm actually gonna. I think I had six last week. I'm going back to five. I think. I think Sixers take care of business tomorrow, and they they take care of business. I I don't see any chance that the Hawks win Game Five in Philly. So I'll go Sixers yeah, exactly. in five, and then I think that's what you have as well. And then uh, the the series has kind of turned into the most interesting one. The Jazz Clippers. For- for the record, Jazz Clippers, I was correct. Last game is next Sunday. It would be a game seven. So would uh, Sixers-Hawks, but neither one of us think we're going to get there. I do think we're going to get there in Clippers-Jazz. Um, the Jazz have an incredible home court advantage. Um, you know, all signs point Utah, but all signs pointed Utah a week ago, and I picked the Clippers. And I actually think they've overperformed through three games, so I'm sticking with the Clippers. Give me them. Let me ride Kawhi a little bit more. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of this team, but I'm, I'm going to stick by my guns. I'm going to stick by the Jazz. I think it probably ends up going seven, which terrifies me because Kawhi Leonard in a game seven is not something I really want to do like do a lot of betting against because he historically is not one to bet against in big games. But I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with the Jazz for now. I'm going to take him in seven. And, it, I mean, it'll be interesting. I I think it would be cool at this point to have the Clippers make the conference finals, but I also love being able to slander them for never making the conference finals. There's something fun about it that I'd lose if they make the conference finals. How about Chris Paul versus the Clippers in the conference finals? Like, that just the, the exercise the demons series, I guess. Give me the Suns in five if that's who they play. I like them. I like them against Utah too. I think that might be the most entertaining series of the playoffs, though. If they if that ends up being the matchup in the West, that's going to be a lot of fun. 
So who who at this point we've ha- we ha- we've hashed this out a couple times as well, but who at this point do you think if you had to guess right now NBA Finals who who are you picking? Who are the two teams? Uh, the Nets injuries. Like to, the Nets injuries are like making it a little harder. Updates. Okay. Um, if I pick them to win the Bucks, I'm assuming that Kyrie is going to be back, and if Kyrie's back. I would pick them against the Sixers, but that that's dicey. So I'd probably right now I'd probably lean Philly, uh, but I like the Suns out west, so that that'd be my matchup right now. But you know I, I I'm not forgetting about the Nets. I'm not putting them away. Yeah, I, I'm sticking by my guns. Uh, like, like I said, whoever won Lakers Suns, I said would make the conference would make the NBA Finals. I'm sticking by it. I got Philly and I got Phoenix and. My oh my, would that be an entertaining series? Because Devin Booker historically has cooked the Philadelphia 76ers. Chris Paul historically has cooked the Philadelphia 76ers. And Joel Embiid does what he does against every team that he does also against the Phoenix Suns. We'll so see if we'll see if Aiton can D up the MVP like he D'd up the MVP. We'll see what happens there if that's the matchup. Yeah, I don't I don't think Aiton's gonna have as much. I mean, listen, my top two for mvp are still in it Let, let's real quick if we're if we're hashing it out talgo mvp we're are, are we doing a power rank or are we just gonna leave it uh, a mystery until the end we knew a power rank i mean it's no mystery for me the talgo mvp has been the same guy since i first brought it up in the pod three months ago but you know give love out to phoenix chris paul uh, do you who's who's also in who's number two? Ooh, uh give me uh, two and three give me I'm going to go Mitchell 2 and Bede 3, but it's close. Yeah, I think I'd go Paul 1. I'm kind of with you. I'd go in Bede 2 just because of what he's done. I'm, I'm maybe overweighting it, but I think to put up the numbers he has on a partially torn meniscus is kind of absurd. And then I'm going to go Mitchell 3. I'm kind of with you because you saw after game 1 against the Grizzlies, like if we're quantifying value, you saw the difference it made when he came back that game 2 and just how much how much better a basketball team they are when he's actually playing. Also, sneaky contender here if they make the conference finals and maybe farther. Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. sneaky contender for Talgo MVP because he had a good regular season, not a great one, but he's one of the only reasons they kind of stayed afloat all season. Would there be anything more Kawhi Leonard than them beating the Jazz and like nobody talking about it? Uh, no, I mean, that's that's exactly what, what he, he wants. Exactly. Like, he... he there's never been a team in Los Angeles that is as low-key as this one. I think Kawhi purposely has tanked the first two games in both of their series, and now is just going to come out and quietly... Because if they, if they do it two series in a row, coming down from 2-0, that, I mean, it's not 3-1 Nuggets from last year, but it, that, that's impressive. So Tinfoil hat Tom is out in full force, I see. Is Kawhi Leonard right. making Paul George bad? Let's discuss. Let's discuss. All right, Tom, well, we, we've hit the end of... Another conspiracy theorist-filled podcast. Uh, do you have any other final conspiracy theories you want to hit me with before we go? Uh, the World Cup in 2022 is going to be a disaster in Qatar. But that's, I mean, not, even a that's not a conspiracy. Theory. Yeah, I don't know. It, that's just facts. Like, give the guys some rest. Come on. Like, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, th- this isn't great. I I think you know thoughts go out to the Danish player who collapsed. Yeah. I, I just I just think. They need to learn from this, and they either got to play it in the winter or they got to move it somewhere else because you can't play that in. They, I mean, they are playing it in the winter. To be fair, they are playing it in November and December, but you got hundreds of people dying in construction, 
and that's got to be a red flag. But you know, money talks, so FIFA's gonna FIFA. But that that's all I'll say on that. FIFA is gonna FIFA indeed. They gotta build it into the next FIFA that I can uh, pay off the the head of FIFA to get the World Cup in my country. They don't, like, they, they they don't let you. In. They don't let you become like an oil tycoon in FIFA, and that was always tough to me. Like I want to buy a a floundering English club and like turn them into a superstar overnight, a la Manchester City, and they don't let you do that. Like if you're gonna do it, do it right. Well, that's the whole thing right now, right? With Man City and PSG, like no other team has, no other teams really have money this off season, but they do because they're backed by oil tycoons, and they didn't really lose any money during the pandemic. So while all the other teams are like frugal, not really spending money, they're like, "Who wants to come play? We got all the money in the world." Well, Tom, that is the end of another edition of There's a Lot Going On. You know what the people need to do. They need to go on to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us what you like, what you don't like. If you have any suggestions for things you want to hear us talk about, let us know there. Or on Twitter, either at TalgoPod or at Tom and I on Twitter. You can find that all in the show notes of this episode. But for Tom Shively, I'm David Oro saying so long and see you next week.